Let's part do the mark. Uh, three, two, one, mark. mark. <laughs> that bad mark, really? What? Three, two, one, mark. Wait, 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 wait. Re- re- restart it because he might actually have. I know, I know, delay. I know. I'm now concerned. Three, two, one, mark. mark. Wow. Holy smokes. <laughs> that is. You heard like that. You heard that. Three right? seconds delayed for me, Mark. No, it's fine for me. Okay, let's talk about net neutrality, shall we? Wait. <laughs> Am I really that delayed? Okay, I'm awesome. starting now. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 171 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Timitra and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined as usual by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? I'm also joined by Mark, Mark Rubin in down there in San Jose, California. Hello. All right. Okay, so hey Jaime, we got some uh, some Ask MTJC. Why don't you fill us in on the first one there? Yeah, the first one is by Paul Wilkinson. This is in relation to us talking about the the feel of uh, the iPhone 10 vis-a-vis its actual weight. And uh, I was fumbling around for the right way to describe at the time like oh it's like distribution of weight and uh, I'm surprised Mark didn't jump in and, and, and correct me um, but here's somebody who who, who has uh, density is what I was looking for um, and apparently here are the iPhone densities if you really want to know a very specific here the 8 is 2176.645 kilograms per cubic meter the 8 plus is 2177.128 the 7 plus is a svelte 2089.734 and the 10 is 2000 219.514. So the iPhone 10 is the most dense. This could contribute to its perceived weightness or weightiness. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Sure. That's an interesting theory. So it, I have it, I have a six plus, right? Mm-hmm. And now now I'm I'm at a loss because I don't know the density of it. You know, I have to get a, a bowl of water and drop it in there and see. No, maybe I won't <laughs> see how much water is displaced. But um, no, 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 density won't tell you. No, that. I know that's the Eureka thing. That was about gold and crowns and stuff. I know it's that's just volume. So fill us in, Mark. Well, right. So you know the the fact that the 10 is most dense and it's larger than the other devices. Well, maybe it's not physically, maybe it doesn't have more volume than the 8 Plus, but it certainly has more volume than the 8. So compared to 8, it'll feel a, feel a lot heavier. Uh, I don't know, Tim, do you have a, or, or Harvey, do you have an 8 Plus and a 10 right next to each other? Can you compare the volumes of them? I have a 7 Plus. I don't know how much it differs from the Yeah, I have 8 an 8 plus. at the office. It's it's um, it's thinner than the iPhone 10, but it's wider, like it's longer and it's wider. Yeah. And and actually, we, we when we talked about this the other day at the office, we we I, with a couple of the other developers, we kind of held them in our hands, and for some reason, the iPhone 10 feels heavier. So I'm not sure what that is. Mm-hmm. With the glass back and the sort of weightiness to it, it actually reminds me a lot of the iPhone 4s. Right, um, right. And I think it feels like a uh, a pretty comparably sized screen. Granted, it's it's a little bit taller, but not uh, not quite as wide as the plus size screen. Uh, but I've adjusted to that pretty easily. Um, I do enjoy the fact that it is a one handed phone. Um, not totally. Um, but it, it's certainly more so than the, the 7 Plus would be. And uh, the one thing I have not adjusted to is the fact that my hands, when I try to type, adjust themselves as if it's still a plus. So I use double hand and they're they're kind of out sideways. And That's because oh. you're a Nintendo kid, man. You're a Nintendo kid. Yeah, I'm like, oh, this is completely unnecessary. This phone is you know, just wide enough for me to type one-handed if I wanted to. And since um, you know I want to make sure I cradle it, not to cradle its full width, but just to cradle it to make sure I don't drop the darn thing. 
Yeah, I've always I always type with my left my left thumb, but uh, I guess I hold it in my left hand. Um, have you turned on reachability yet on your phone? No, I haven't really found it necessary. I I got so used to using the Plus as a two handed device that I I treat this the same way. It's just the second hand is for you know extra support and security than an actual necessity like it is on the Plus. Yeah, so I'm I'm usually on transit or if I'm at the office or whatever, so I usually have it in one hand and just very quickly checking it. Right, so uh, so I did turn the reachability on because uh, even though I I can't sort of fumble it in my hand to reach the top left-hand corner, I find it easier to, to, to swipe down reachability and then, then I can reach the left corner much easier, right? So, so and that works for most of us. For those of you at home who are trying to... Two hours, uh, I, don't, I haven't figured out how to turn on reachability and how do you access reachability. If you don't have a... Well, I was going to tell you that. Um, huh? If you don't have a home button, how does reachability work? Yeah, so so the way it works is, well, first of all, you have to go into accessibility under general mm-hmm. to turn it on. It's one of the new... They've moved it under accessibility. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you just... you you brush over the uh, the little um, what do you, what, is, what do we call that little home indicator? I think home indicator is the closest thing I've heard to an official name. I don't know that. It okay. One. Okay. Well, I have to I have to download the PDF for the ebook ibook on uh, on the phone. But yeah, you just you just sort of brush your thumb um, or finger over it quickly, like just you know you don't. It's not like like your pole. It's just like kind of you know how you just used to tap the re- for reachability. It's kind of that sort of amount of pressure. You just sort of swipe down, and then the whole screen just kind of moves down, sort of halfway down the screen. Um, but yeah, you have to go into accessibility to turn it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny though, when I pick up, because I still have my other phone, my, my 6 Plus uh, here at home uh, on the couch. So occasionally I'll pick it up and I, I find myself swiping on the screen to try and get it to do stuff and it just doesn't. It takes me like a man- nanosecond to go, oh, yeah, right, home button. Duh. You very quickly forget about the home button. Yeah. I, it's, I've adjusted to it. I, I don't miss it at all. Yeah, I, me too. I haven't really uh, had any issues so far. Yeah, so and I was talking to my my, my nephew about, they, they hadn't seen the phone until I went over for dinner the other day and uh they were they were like going on about the notch i guess the notch has like got a lot of press in terms of how how evil it is and and to be honest with you like my impression is it doesn't get in the way i really don't I, you know you spend most of your time looking down at that little sort of swipe area at the bottom of the screen and you're swiping in the middle and you're swiping up from the, every all the actions come from the bottom gesture right so you really don't notice i don't notice the notch it doesn't get in my way like visually or aesthetically or whatever what do you guys think about it similar it, it doesn't get in my way visually like at all um, the only time I've noticed it is I'm still retraining my brain to use the right ear to bring up control center. That's the right, one thing right. that I, <laughs> I keep having to think very briefly about. But uh, thankfully, I don't bring up control center that often. So it has right, right. negatively impacted my life. Yeah, I love the access to the camera and the flashlight too, you know, with the, with the forced touch on the, the icons. Because, you know, I use my camera all the time. And, and I really like the single sort of pressure point tap as opposed to having to do the goofy swipe to the left that we used to have to do with uh to get the camera on the other phones right but um and the flashlight you just click it on click it off it's super super useful i'm waiting for you guys to say something so exploring <laughs> all right let's move on while mark goes <laughs> to this phone oh, okay. uh, yeah never mind no sweat um okay um so this other tw- this other point here i mean it's an ask mtjc um but it was a big long conversation which is i'm trying to find the original thread here um alan j Edmonds was asking something and i haven't been able to find a place on twitter where I can get to the whole conversation, which is kind of goofy. Have you had, have you managed? No, to get I was going to ask you if you could see it because it wasn't showing up for me either. I didn't understand the context. Yeah, just let me see if I can get on my phone here. Yeah, while you look that up, let me fill the airtime with the one thing I've been pretty impressed with is I hadn't really considered how Apple Pay would work, and more specifically, yeah. Apple Pay within the context of apps. I thought, oh, well, if all you have to do is just look at Face ID, how does it prevent you from accidentally buying movie tickets, for example? 
And it yeah, turns yeah. out they thought about that and it's like, well, you have to double tap the um, sleep wake button in order to, you know, start the Apple Pay process. Like it will bring up the sheet and be like, oh, by the way, you should double tap this button. And if you do, it just uses the face ID approval process there. So I thought that was pretty nice. Um, and it does make me hope that they've done a lot of rigorous um, usage testing to make sure that button doesn't wear out because it's being used for a lot of things, you know, including activating Siri. And I remember that same sleep wake button wearing out on an iPhone 5 and having to go into the Apple store to get that replaced. Mm-hmm. Or accurately repaired, I guess. The, the phone was repaired. The same phone, but it replaced the, the sleep wake button. So here's the question. Oh, you know what? He's on an iPhone SE, so I can't really answer his question. Um, so Alan Edmonds says that he's found an iOS reminder bug, app bug. And he says, anyone else notices he can't scroll to the bottom of the list uh, if it contains quite a few items. Um, there's one that always stays at the bottom. Now, I have seen that in, in apps that I've used before and apps that I've worked on where you have a table view and at the very bottom, you can't get to the very bottom item. And I remember having that as an issue, a bug in one of my apps. And I can't remember what the fix was, but um, maybe that's what they're going on about. There, there's a big, long conversation about it and bounces all over the place. Maybe we'll talk about this one next week because um, it's not related to the iPhone 10. So who cares? But no, but, but Alan's question was maybe they only test on the iPhone 10. But uh, it's interesting. There have been a lot of uh, iOS 11 shortfalls. In fact, I think Joe Chaplinski posted today or yesterday that, that if people are updating their apps, they should take the time to make sure that they add the uh, the layout stuff for the iPhone 10 at least, right? Um, we can talk about this in a bit, but I, I just updated one of my apps too where I went through and I, I just did a, a minor patch because I noticed a few layout things that were wrong um, relating to the iPhone 10. So I just patched those and got those up, up, up out of the way and then I can go back and start adding more features or tweaks to the to, to my app, right? Mm-hmm. Why don't you hit us with the HomePod uh, follow-up there, Jaime? Yeah, the, the unfortunate news is that it will not be here in December, as we were told during WWDC. It is sometime in 2018. That's rather unfortunate. I was uh, hoping that it would be here for the holidays, or at least you know buy the thing for the holidays, and uh, it's not going to. There's uh, so you have your 349 dollars set aside, ready for purchase. I was ready. I was like, all right, got my pennies saved right here in this jar that I can use, and that's of course for the 16 gig model, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, it's like sad that it's not coming out. On the other hand, it's like, well, if you have to wait until it's you know ready to ship, I'd rather have it ready to ship than have it be you know, not an ideal or a less than ideal experience. So bummer there, mm-hmm. but you know it's not um, it's not going to negatively impact my life too much, and probably won't materially impact Apple's uh, stock either. So yeah, probably all bummer, the but- all the Apple engineers are busy working on the iMac Pro and the Mac Pro, and they didn't couldn't get that finished in time. Mm-hmm. Arcasm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if, but it feels like. <laughs> Working on the SE bugs. Truth, right? It's like, oh, well, Apple is you know, limited resources. I'm like, well, they're only limited in people because they choose not to, you know, employ more people. Like, you might as well, given their 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 wealth, they effectively have no limits on resources. Uh, but well, I, like I said like, earlier, too, you, you can outsource to India for twelve dollars an hour. So I don't understand what the problem is, right? <laughs> <laughs> You know, but uh, I think it, it probably the biggest thing is the fact that this uh, is not available for the holiday season, which means it's just even more of an uphill battle for them. As it means that people might be buying um, you know, Amazon Echoes and Google Homes. Um, I'm a little surprised they didn't at least yeah. have like, I mean, it's it's a little, little little bit different than how they normally do. They, hey, you pre-order this thing and it will ostensibly come to you within a week or two. Uh, you know, our, our recent experience is notwithstanding. It seems like it well, could have been possible for them to just like, look, just, just have a pre-order and send 
Santa Claus will bring it when Santa Claus brings it, right? Um, you know, hopefully that's early enough. Like, I, I don't know, maybe I come from like the, the video game world where it's like, hey, you pre-order this thing like six months in advance and I would not have any issue pre-ordering that thing. And it seems like that would have been easy right, right. To, to get people's money, get them excited about it. I don't know, give them some sort of gift um, just so they don't feel so bad that they didn't actually receive it in time for the holidays. It's like, oh, you pre-order this thing and I don't know, here's $20 worth of, of apps and games that come for free with it or something. I don't know, whatever whatever the case may be. Right, right. My thing, my take on it is this, is that, you know, it's a new, pro- new product line for Apple. It's a new uh, paradigm for them in terms of how people are going to interact with this gizmo. And the same thing with Google, Google Home and Alexa, right? Um, but given my experience with the last year, because I, I dove into the, the home kit stuff with the, the door lock and the lights going on and off and, and that's been hit and miss. I mean, it's, it's a bit buggy. You know, um, I have a schedule set up for turning on the lights and, and, uh, that kind of stuff at night based on when the, when sun, sunset is and all that kind of thing and goes off at midnight. Um, but it's throughout the year I've had issues with it. Like it just things lights, some bulbs don't want to turn off or they don't want to turn on. And, you know, you have to go reboot the, the little base station thing that comes with the apparent, the, the appliance that you're trying to have trouble with. So I think it's just another, another thing where maybe there's, and, and, you know, Apple's tends to always want to put their best foot forward. They lead from behind, like we said before, right? Um, and I think that that may be why the HomePod speakers or the HomePod is basically being um, being put off. I mean, that probably was, a, like you said, the, maybe the engineering challenges uh, of making it as, as cool and smooth as they want uh, isn't happening. And, and maybe Mark is right. Maybe they are focusing on some more products that they, they currently will make more, get more bang out of. Like maybe they're, they're putting all their resources into making sure that the iPhone 10 is the, the best experience it can be, right? So far, it's been pretty awesome. Or and I, I mean, I mean that in, in a sense of like, you know, Tammy's always going on about us using the word awesome. You know, is it awesome like a hot dog or awesome like a moon landing? I mean, it's awesome like a moon landing. Like uh, Ryan Nystrom said the other day on Twitter that that this is the best phone he's used, the best iPhone he's used in a long while. Um, I challenge that because I think I remember the first iPhone being pretty awesome too uh, from a, as a as a new piece of tech, you know? But yeah, maybe that's, that's I'd rather, I'd rather that Apple didn't rush a product to market and then like the Apple, the first Apple TV was kind of, you know, it wasn't great. It was okay. Um, you know, where are they today? Most people have moved on. There's, you know, in a closet somewhere, right? So, because they, they just weren't, wasn't fully thought out. I mean, the market really wasn't ready for it. And maybe that's where this whole home attendee or attendant or whatever this product ends up being. Maybe it's not ready for market yet. So no, the market's not ready for it. I mean, you obviously all agree with me. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I was, I was digesting a little bit. Like, I think, I think the market is ready. I mean, that's Amazon has blazed the trail here and, and Google has followed. Um, how many units have they shipped though? I mean, do we know? Surprisingly, we, we believe, and nobody really knows this for sure, but there's a, we don't have the evidence on hand, but there's enough evidence for people to believe that it's, um, that at least the Echo has sold fewer units than the, um, the Apple Watch, which is kind of interesting considering how they're, they're both concerned considered by, uh, by pundits. Um, and both are successful products. So let's not be confused, right? These are not uh, iPhone level uh, or even iPad level of, of success, but they're not failures either. Uh, far from it. And I think here, uh, I think the market is very much ready for, for Apple to have this, but if Apple doesn't have the product ready yet, I think that's okay in terms of the, should they do it or should they not? Because coming back to the Apple Watch, even though I'm a, a huge fan of the Apple Watch, uh, still wearing my original Apple Watch and yeah, looking too. forward to acquiring a Series 3 uh, rather soon here. I've been critical in the past and I don't know which episode this was, but I think they really blew it by rushing it to the market in terms of uh, the developer story, right? Like the watch. 
original watch kit stuff, I, I think is really hokey. Like I think it was a, oh, terrible, yeah, yeah. a, a brilliant or a terrible hack, depending how you think about it. Um, and watch OS four by comparison is awesome and nice. So, um, I'd rather wait for watch OS four equivalent rather than living through the, the bumps and groans of, uh, of a premature released product. So we could do it. We could do a quick Seattle type survey here and, and survey all of the podcasters on this show. And I think you would find that only 33% of us even own a Google Home or an Alexa, right? Product. So that's kind of where it sits right now. I mean, two or two out of three of us own a watch, right? One out of three, you have a Google Home and a Google Alexa, right, Mark? Uh, Jaime, don't, don't you? Yes. In fact, I have two Echoes, the Echo Show and the Echo Dot. So, but you don't, you have a, you don't have a Google Home though, right? One Google Home. Oh, you have a Google Home. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so that's the thing. Think about this. Out of your family members and your, um, you know, friends that you work with and that kind of stuff, how many people have uh, these home automation, home automation products like the Google Home or the or the Alexa? I don't know anybody in my in my circle of friends or family that has these things. How about you, Mark? You know anybody who's using these things at all? I don't know anyone who has one. No. Yeah. So that's what I mean by the market not ready for it. I mean, everybody has an iPhone or a, or an Android device these days, right? That so, the, so that's a saturated market, right? So I think there's time for Apple to to take their time and do it right. Is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, but by, by, by no means that I mean like oh no, like the door has shut because I think um, even though there is a first mover advantage to be the first one, you know, yeah, course, 100 yeah. to $300, whatever it is that people plunk down. And, and if it works well, people will be like, why do I want another one? Like, why, why, why is this one better than what I already have? I think that's a harder sell. Um, but I also, I'm also a little surprised that, again, that they didn't just like take my money, <laughs> get me on the hook for it, uh, realize the revenue now, and also, you know, keep the revenue away from Amazon and Google. Um, a little surprised they didn't do that, but it's okay. You know, um, it, coming back briefly to uh, address uh, some of your questions. There. So for my group of folks, um, probably fewer people that I know, uh, family and friends own, I don't think I know anybody else who owns a Google Home, but I know other people who own uh, the Echo, a handful of people, certainly fewer than who have Apple Watches. And that seems like that's become more of a fashionable item within the last year, I think really, it really stepped up. For your your neck of the woods, Tim, like they just made it available in Canada. So I'm kind of yeah, not like surprised that. Last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Mark's area, like I thought your neck of the woods would have been much more prevalent. I'm a little surprised by that one. Mark doesn't get out much. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean the, the Bay Area is like tech central, right? Of the entire world, much less, you know, the United States. It is for sure. But like I said, I don't know anyone who had any interest in it. Sorry. <laughs> there you that go. is so, quite interesting. Yeah, no. yeah. When I think back to like 20, 2004, we were doing, you know, social network, networking websites, you know, and we were aiming at the, the entertainment and restaurant business and they just weren't ready for it, right? So the product fell flat on its face and, you know, few, at the same time, Facebook was coming along and My, MySpace and High Five and Meetup and it's taken a while for, like now now Facebook's ubiquitous, right? And, and the other platforms I mentioned are, uh, except for MySpace, they're they're still around and, and going, you know, but uh, at that time, you know, even though it was a, it was a, a product that, you know, clearly the, the public needed, the public wasn't ready for it or even small businesses weren't ready for it. So I think that, I think there's time for the, the home pod or this sort of um, home automation stuff to sort of come in 
into into play. Uh, I don't maybe I, I'm not concerned that it's not this year, you know. Um, and it was kind of a last minute mention at WWDC to be honest with you. They kind of oh yeah, you've got this HomePod thing, but let's move on to the new stuff in iOS 11. You know, was kind of how it was presented, right? So yeah, yeah, it didn't spend a lot of time on it. But I do know one person who has one. I just realized that, so I'll correct oh, earlier. Say just you just throw my stats off. Oh, just one person. <laughs> I know, I'm kidding. I'm but it does make me think that maybe there's a little bit, uh, given my the makeup of my my uh, friends in particular, there might be a little bit of a home team. Yeah, you got the wrong friends, man. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. I mean, Amazon is in Seattle, right? So uh, <laughs> I will also point out, like, we also still have a weirdly disproportionate number of Windows phones hanging out in the in the real. Really? Yeah, I see Blackberries all the time too. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, and nobody has Blackberries here. See, that's a, that's a definitely a home team thing for for Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see those square ones. They neither a BlackBerry or a Windows phone. Yeah, see? There you go. The burrito cow has spoken. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's move on. So uh, so in, in the, let it go. In the, um, in, on our other podcast, if you, if you listen to it, you know we have this thing called Fact Check where we, we correct ourselves uh, from weeks gone by. So last week, um, I wasn't quite sure that Face ID learned um, from its mistakes and you guys were, were sure that it did. And so it turns out that I read an article by Rene Ritchie talking about uh, it's called the limitations of Face ID and what you need to know. Uh, I do recommend people go read that article and there'll be a link in the show notes. And um, because it does, in fact, seem to learn um, as you as it looks at you and can't really recognize you, but then again, you come in with your your password passcode afterwards. Um, it does correct itself. And he was saying that unlike um, Touch ID, where they basically create an algorithm, but they don't really save the the fingerprints. Um, in the case of Face ID, it actually does keep the two images of your face and so that so for for portability and updating later on um, so that the, uh, the the images are around so so correction from what I said last week the face ID apparently does learn from um, repeated use and and you correcting it as you change your face or shave or don't shave or you know put a scarf on and um, that kind of stuff and I've noticed in in you know the first couple of weeks that I've had the phone first I guess it's been two weeks I don't think it has right um, the first week that I had the phone it just seemed totally magical it was like you know there was like a little pixie dust coming off the phone every time I used it um, but I've noticed in the last you know three or four days that I've been using it that that there are times when it gets a little confused I'm not looking at it right or whatever and um, just as a, as a sort of a, a test I was telling you that my, my nephews were, were excited to see the phone and debating with me about the notch but my my, my uh, youngest nephew was was having fun you know because every time he wanted to, the phone would lock itself he'd come over and wave it in my face and he would he would laugh because he could he could you know open it again and run off and do whatever he was doing with it. But at one point I sort of pointed out to him that, that the purpose of the notch is, is that's, you know, if you have to look at the phone to get, if you have attention mode on and it is on by default, you have to look at the phone to get it to unlock. And so he actually tried to wave at my face and I just made a conscious effort not to look at the phone and he tried it for a couple of minutes and it's, it wouldn't, the phone would not unlock by just pointing at my face. You have to, I don't know if something bounces off the back of your eyeballs or something like that, but you, you have to actually pay attention to the phone for it to unlock. I don't know if you guys have tried that yet. Yeah, it, that, that does seem pretty magical to folks um, who were not aware of it. I was showing it to a friend of mine and she was like, oh, so I just pointed at your face like, no, watch, let me let me look, you know, somewhere else like to the side, you know, Greg Heo style. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, it doesn't work. He must have real trouble with it. Oh, well, uh, what if we do like your driver's license? Like, well, for one, I'm not sure exactly how close it'd have to be to make it look like the size of my real face, but sure, knock yourselves out. Uh, it's not going to work. Like, <laughs> they're smart enough to, to use the, the little Xbox Connect style thing shooting infrared beams at your face to figure out like is it at least three-dimensionally a face um yeah the attention is really cool it's funny on the i the i fix it folks uh they were playing around with it uh last week
week I saw a video and um, they had they had a like a sleeve printed with the the speaker's face uh, on it and she was, it was a guy and a girl doing the video and so he pulled the sleeve of her face printed on over his head and tried to open the phone of course it wouldn't open because it was ridiculous but they also had a, a mask made of her own face which was slightly larger than her own, than a real face and she put it on and and uh, face ID wouldn't recognize her and he put it on and of course it would recognize him either at, you know, pretending to be her so and that's sort of, that backs up what we've been saying all along about the fact that you can't just make a mask and have it you know open up your your thing so there's I think there's a lot to be done with a lot to be said for like Mark's idea that maybe the muscles in your face moving or um, or maybe like I said detecting a pulse or, or maybe even like bouncing off the back of your retinas maybe that's part of the signature right who knows nobody knows no I, I have no idea I mean uh, to address something that I'm sure some of you at home might be thinking about um, let's be real clear just like touch ID it is not the most secure method you could have for protecting your phone like if you are the queen of England I do not recommend you <laughs> enable face ID right because all right yeah. there's enough vested interest in breaking into your phone and, and and there's enough public imagery of you um, and you're out and about enough for people to do that but for somebody like me who's just some random podcaster like nobody's gonna try to break into my stuff right and and, if and do, what do you got probably, to hide too right yeah. yeah it's like a government agent it's more like this is way better than having um having to enter in a passcode and it's it's certainly better than not having a passcode at all right like having a completely yes, unlocked yeah, phone yeah. so it's yeah. like good enough security like the you know the locks on my door sort of thing it's not going to keep out yeah. pink panther but it will keep out you know random kids it'll keep out honest crooks is what i like to say mm-hmm. it'll keep mm-hmm. out honest crooks i mean yeah you're right it's 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 a measure of protection it's not foolproof i'm sure that people will be trying to break it for the next two years like they do with the with touch id right but uh yeah it, it it's it's convenient it's it's much easier to use in two-factor authentication for sure and and of course if you reboot the phone or you do an update on the phone and it has to reboot um you have to enter your passcode anyway so um and occasionally like I, i've opened up um one password and and the little little smiley face is a little icon below the login button so you have to touch it to re-enable it um, but of course you know there's a, a certain amount of time out for even one password will ask you to enter your master password in so so it's it's a uh, it's super convenient it's really fast like i must say it is fast um uh, you know like in six months we'll be going oh my god i can't believe how slow face id is right you know but but for now it's it's magical pixie dust kind of you know amazement amaze balls is a friend of mine just said all right so uh, let's finish off i got one more quick thing on on the iphone 10 so as i mentioned before i think uh, i was updating one of my apps device tracker which is the one i always update um i had done i had added the, the launch screen storyboard to it so that it would fill out the whole screen but um, when we were talking about it on the show i think two weeks ago or maybe last week i, I noticed that the the section headers for the table view on the main view weren't they weren't avoiding the launch when i turned it to landscape mode um so i went back in and checked and sure enough i didn't have the safe area turned on on my storyboard so i went in and turned that on and that fixed that uh problem right away and then like a fool i thought oh it's only going to take me i'll open up photoshop it'll make, take me a couple of minutes to do some screenshots and, and i'll do my iphone 10 screenshots and so of course i've got i opened up a, a layout in, in photoshop and then i realized i have to have i used to do four screenshots of four like different modes of the sh- of the app and then of course i've got it translated into eight languages right so all of a sudden i was really missing what was that launch kit that i used to use to do my um mm-hmm. my screenshots yeah, before sadly shut really down mm-hmm. yeah they, they shut it down google bought it and then they shut it down so you know before i would like do the four shots and i would do the, the, the eight different languages and upload those shots and and get my 
like my screens downloaded to me and it would it would use the the plus and screen and make me the smaller ones for the the other phones but in this case here because the, there's no layout for the iPhone 10 I had to go into Photoshop and make a layout and you know get a mock up and all that kind of stuff maybe I'll post the uh, the final image that I put up in the uh, show in the show notes somewhere but yeah so I, I went through the whole process of making uh, um, iPhone 10 things and and just a side note sidebar here I did update my Mac to, to high Sierra this weekend as well and what I what I forgot about is that I'm still using Photoshop uh, as part of the Creative Suite 6, so CS6. It's not compatible with High Sierra, right? So I can't, every time like I would go to do, uh, those of you people who know Photoshop, I'm using a smart object uh, to, to update the images, right? And every time I go to save that, it gives me this obscure error saying it didn't work, even though it did work, right? So just a minor annoyance with uh, with Photoshop and a few other apps that I've that I've used that, that uh, aren't happy with my uh, upgrade to High Sierra. But yeah, so what the exercise that, that was supposed to only take me like 10, 15 minutes of updating my screenshots took me at least two hours. So be fair warning. But yeah, the... So I got a question, Tim, on, about that. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I could check this myself, but since you are since you just went through this, uh, I might as well just ask you. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so before the iPhone ten came out, you had the option of only using the large screen, the, the plus size phone right. screenshots, yeah. and it would scale yeah. down everything else if you chose to. Uh, what is it now? Do you still need the plus size or, or do you need a 10 size or can you use one or the yeah, you can you can use the eight plus, seven plus, six plus aspect ratio, and it'll automatically scale those. You can use those, um, and you can also and the iPhone ten is optional right now. It says you don't have to put an iPhone ten mm-hmm. um, screenshot up there. But I think that from a marketing point of view, if if you're an iPhone ten user and you go in there and it doesn't have an iPhone ten um, layout, you might think mm, I don't know if this guy's ready for this phone. This app has really been paying paying attention, um, you know, because you still get the letterboxing with apps that haven't addressed the safe area yet and that kind of stuff, right? Um, now, can you use only an iPhone 10 and not an 8 Plus screenshot? Oh, I don't know. You know, uh, I think you have to provide, you have to, I think the minimum is you have to provide a, a the, the 8 Plus aspect ratio. That's the minimum. And then then it'll, it'll downscale those. So, so the iPhone 10, it does say optional in brackets. You don't, you don't have to make the iPhone 10 screenshots, right? But I just wanted to because I, I you know, published eight different markets and I don't want to, I mean, realistically, the, the U.S. is where most of my sales are and Germany is the second, but not by, by a long shot, right? But um, the iPhone 10 shots are optional right now. Because I, I, I actually don't have, I don't own a Plus device. Uh, so right, right. To scramble to, to make my Plus screenshots. Uh, but now I have a 10 and if I could just use the 10 and not have to use the Plus, that would be great. But yeah, not quite because it's it's fun. much narrower. It's a narrower shot, right? And it's yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. not as wide, right? So that they may complain. Like when you, what it is, iTunes uh, Connect complains if you try to upload an image that's not the right aspect rate, right. like the actual right pixel size, right? Mm-hmm. The other annoying thing if you're publishing to iPad is you have to upload iPad Pro shots as well, right? So you have to, yeah. so I, I just took my, yeah. my and scaled them up. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but so yeah, that's, that's kind of annoying. So so in the case of Device Tracker, it's a universal app, of course, so I have to do all of the screenshots. But but again, like I didn't have to do new shots for this particular app. I just had to, I just wanted to do the iPhone 10 one specifically, right? Mm-hmm. I could have left it, um, I, I could have just ignored it and I think it might have shown. In fact, I've, I've gone into some, even some of the apps that are featured on the App Store these days, right? Like, you know, the new App Store look. I've gone in and followed followed down the rabbit hole and saw that the screenshots they have on those are still showing, even though I'm on an iPhone 10, they're still showing me um, an iPhone 8 or an 8 Plus kind of uh, device. So they're not quite there yet. So, and it's funny because uh, it's, it's surprising how many how many people haven't really uh, started updating their, 
I just started noticing that since Joe Chaplinski mentioned it, I think yesterday on Twitter, that people are people should really be doing this um, if they're serious about selling their apps on the Mac App Store. Anywho, so Mark, you have a story here from uh, 9to5Mac? Yeah, we've talked a bunch of times about the iPhone SE, which is the uh, the old phone that has the same size as the old iPhone 5 and 5S, uh, and have wondered out loud about whether it was a one-off thing or whether there's going to be a refresh of it ever or or what was the full future of that of that uh, device size and it, it looks like there's, there's well there's a lot of rumors right now that there will be an SE2 may not go by that name but uh, but a, a refresh of the SE coming first quarter of next year which is kind of interesting there's rumors out of the supply channels uh, in China which are usually pretty reliable for that kind of thing so it looks like there will be a new version of the SE early next year yeah I think it's rather exciting for a couple of reasons one is that I've long been a proponent of the idea that if you're into the SE form factor like that thing is a hot rod you've got like a Hemi engine on a bicycle in terms of weight um, there's just so much power there today that um, you know the these devices the, the the guts the innards were made for much larger screens you know you know can it handle a, a plus size model can it handle um, you know an iPhone 7 size screen in terms of like pixels that it needs to push out to the screen and the SE has so fewer pixels that in my experience like I've not actually run you know actual benchmark it just felt like it was smoking fast mm. um, it was like you know <laughs> deep space nine fat buttons will remember that the USS defiant was described as being uh, over engined and over gunned for how small of a ship it is and that's what the SE feels like to me yeah it'll be interesting so it'll be to even see whether whether it's a whether it's powered like a, a seven an eight or a ten when it finally comes out yeah, yeah. I can see it being a ten, like an eight probably right yeah or I mean it, it could even be a seven you know there's there's precedent for that that it was I think when the SE came out it came out at the same time as the seven right and it was powered like a six I believe or a six S yeah that's what I mean yeah 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 so it could be mm-hmm. new like seven, does it comes down to cost of cost of goods right? probably yes yeah and I think the other thing mentioned in this article is that this will supposedly be manufactured not in China but from India as Apple setting up its manufacturing facilities there hmm. oh interesting hmm. yeah you know mm-hmm are you ready to level up your iOS career but not sure where to start? RayWinderlich.com has the best and most up-to-date collection of Swift 4 and iOS 11 books anywhere. From November 24th to the 27th, RayWinderlich.com is having a massive Black Friday sale where you can get any of their books at 50% off. Or you can grab the entire collection of 12 best-selling books for just $199. That's an incredible deal. As an iOS developer, there simply is no better investment you can make in yourself. Head over to store.raywonderlake.com to take advantage of their limited time Black Friday sale starting November 24th and ending November 27th. Okay, let's uh, let's dive into the, uh, the Swift code you got here, Jaime. Yeah, this one's an article on The Verge, and it talks about how Swift code will run on Google's Fuchsia OS. So that's not to be confused with Android. Uh, Fuchsia OS is this other operating system that Google is working on that a little unclear exactly what it's going to do. But it's still pretty cool that Google is you know making Swift uh, available on its own platform sort of natively. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I think this week people may have seen or maybe they missed it. Um, 
that uh, there was a little bit of uh, rumor and buzz around like, well, what the heck, what, why did Google just fork Swift, the, the open source project? And it wasn't a hard fork. Let's be very clear. It was not a, oh, Google's going to make some incompatible version of Swift. Uh, no, no, no. This was just, uh, it's easier for their team, uh, you know, probably led by Chris Latner and company to have their own little staging area of changes that they can push upstream um, as proposals and, and improvements, bug fixes, that sort of thing to the mainline Swift project. So, so no worries there. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, hand-wringing and consternation over really nothing. But uh, I can understand why people were worried because Google has in the past forked, um, I want to say it was WebKit when they made Burst, something, whatever their incompatible version um, that powers Chrome. This <laughs> um, right. is not like that. This is a much more happy thing. And maybe he says speculatively could be a sign of things to come that they, you know, they're already supporting Kotlin as a non-Java based uh, solution to to do Android and wouldn't be that bad to support Swift as well. Um, it would be kind of nice to not have to, to lose that skill set. That's true. That's one of the things that people say that they like about Kotlin is, is the two languages are very close, Swift and, and Kotlin, right? Uh, I do love the subtitle of the article that you posted, Jaime. Uh, the title is Swift Code Will Run on Google's Fuchsia OS. The subtitle is, still doesn't help explain why Fuchsia exists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure, I do think it's no coincidence that this happened soon after Chris Latner joined Google. Uh, I, I'm, I, I wonder if, if uh, this is basically just giving him something to work on. I don't know. Well, he's, I mean, he's got to be a champion of the, of the language for sure, right? right so right. that would have some influence, right? Um, but I do, I do want to point out to the people who do have the consternation about the fact that the, the enemy camps are working together. Um, there was a little product uh, called Word by a little company called Microsoft that actually developed in shipped on the Macintosh first. And they went through and I think, you know, if we asked people in this room to raise their hands on how many people use Microsoft Word on a regular basis, you'd be surprised that, uh, you know, the evil Microsoft product is used in, in in the Apple camp to this day when in fact it initially shipped on Apple, right? Um, so the fact that these languages, I, that Google is looking at Swift as a possible um, language, or like you said, even Google still makes product for iOS, right? So why wouldn't they, you know, be boned up on on Swift, right? Even even if they're not making something to run on one of their own languages, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people looking to be polyglot in the way of, of offering different things. Um, hypothetically, having uh, Swift or Kotlin or whatever be usable on all these different platforms would be one way of approaching that. Um, as mentioned here at the very tail end of this article, uh, let's not forget that Facebook has their own attempt at the solution for this, which right, is yeah. React Native that's supported on Android and iOS. And I had completely forgotten about the fact, and thank you to this article for pointing this out, uh, Google has a competitor to that called uh, Flutter, which from what I see, looks like it tries to address the same thing of, you know, I want to be able to write my app once and have it run in two different environments. So mm-hmm. wouldn't be surprised to see more and more of this stuff uh, start to come out. And there's still like a Cordova camps and that's PhoneGap, right? Those guys still out there building apps for both platforms as well, right? Yeah. And people trying to do something kind of similar with the, um, oh my gosh, what are they called? Uh, progressive web apps. Progressive? Oh, right. Yeah. I think it's called progressive web apps that are uh, powered by stuff like Ionic, if I'm not mistaken. Could be wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Anywho. 
All right, so we got here something about 11.2 and new promises for, which I've heard about this for a couple of weeks. We haven't talked about it yet, but uh, why don't you fill us in there, Jaime? Yeah, if you haven't heard about it, it's new to you. Um, quick update on iOS 11.2, which introduces uh, introductory pricing for auto-renewable subscriptions. So more flexibility there, yay. You know, if you want to have a, oh, you know, we're just launching the app, you know, $5 off kind of, a, you know, $5 off our uh, six-month subscription or whatever it is. Um, that's great. More more flexibility for people. So go check it out. Yeah, I think, is it that they can have free offers or they can have lower priced options? To I start believe off? it is lower because I believe introductory free trials for subscriptions is already there. Yeah, so this further backs up our, our theory that Apple wants everybody to get behind subscription-based apps for sure, right? It certainly beats, um, <laughs> reaching back to the other show's podcast, it certainly beats loot boxes, that's for sure. Uh, instead boxes. of having uh, yeah. uh, crazy in-app purchase uh, type stuff, I would rather have uh, a fewer number of apps that I would support through subscription if, if that was the case. I mean, certainly uh, one I do currently is uh, 1Password, right? I'm using their stuff and I pay them some amount per month. I don't even know. I probably pre-purchased a year or something. Yeah, it's a couple of bucks or something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm still using that set app that we talked about on the show a thousand years ago. Um, I'm still paying you know, a few, few dollars per month for that. Uh, and and a couple of apps come out every now and then. I've, I've looked at I, the one I use most most often is Clean My Mac, but um, there's a couple of apps. There's a timer app that came out that I've been sort of playing around with and um you know they they probably introduce about two or three apps a, a month to it so it's i suppose if i was really into all these kind of utility apps um it would pay off but and I'm, i know lots of people who used to use those kind of you know little one-off widgets all the time right just not my thing like util like ulysses for instance i know a lot of people use ulysses and there was some big uh, hand-wringing about the fact that ulysses has raised their pricing or changed their, their subscription model i believe um, but if you were on setup you got that for free so or so not for free but you got it as part of the package right so and it's cheaper through setup than it would have been if you went direct to ulysses so in all in all right so j- changing gears here for a bit so there's been a lot of news up here about the fcc and net neutrality and this big vote that's going on down there in the states right and for those of you who don't understand what net neutrality is in a nutshell this is how i understand it is that it will enable isps and that kind of stuff to change the speed at which your internet works in other words someone with more money can pay for faster better performance than those who don't. So um, the idea behind net neutrality is everybody pays something and they all get the same um, speed of service, essentially, right? Um, not that it doesn't change in different kinds of subscriptions as it is now, but uh, just on point, um, this is a post uh, on Twitter by Michael Geist, who is a internet Canadian internet law guy. Um, he points out that Canada currently has um, a, a robust set of laws on net neutrality. It's been something we've talked about for a while with our government and our CRTC, which is the Canadian Radio Television Communication Group, um, about that. So um, I'm sure you guys have, have been and probably have opinions on on what's been happening with the FCC because we are obviously paying attention to it as well up here. Um, what do you think about the talk about all the the, the voting, re-voting or changing the way net, tra- net, tra- net neutrality works for you guys in the States? Well, I think it's very bad for consumers. Uh, it's Essentially, it, it will allow your ISP to decide what content you have access to, which is, yeah, that which as well, is right? really not a, a good thing. Uh, for example, if you have used Comcast, let's say, and you try to use your, your internet to go watch stuff on Roku or something like that, they can make it so incredibly slow that it's unusable uh, in order to force you to use their own service. 
service, it's a, it's a pretty bad idea. It's, it's very favored by the telecoms that they want to be able to influence what you do. But uh, in my opinion, right, yeah. it's not good for the consumer at all. Pretty unhappy. Yeah. And we, and we, I know like so we've been talking about this in up here. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, our government at least made, uh, made um, some decisions on it, I guess, right? Uh, about how it would be regulated up here. Um, because yeah, we went through the same thing. Cause, cause again, we have, we were talking about this on the last podcast as well. We basically have two major players here as far as our networks go. And I think I mean, was telling us that you have Comcast and one or two other ones that sort of divide up the United States. Um, but yeah, but if like, if they can control, like if they're, if it's in their vested interest that you use HBO Go as opposed to Netflix, for instance, right? They could make your Netflix experience so horrible that we just cancel your account and move over to the one that they're, they're providing or whatever, right? Right. That's like, exactly. that's a good point. I hadn't thought about yeah. that. Yeah. Or they just make it so pitifully slow for you because you're not paying the $200 a month or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have an opinion? Yeah, I think for me, what I really want, um, what I really want out of my internet access is treat it like it's the electric company, um, which seems funny because it's a local monopoly, but, you know, differentiate based on the kind of customer profile. So um, for my electric company, I am a basic home, right? And and so they can adjust their, their usage thing. All right, we expect a normal house to have this kind of usage pattern during the day, during the month, during the season, and have this kind of electrical load on it. And they charge me based on how much electricity I use. They have no idea that I'm spending that electricity on my MacBook Pro, on my Roku, on charging my iPhones. They really don't need to know. They really don't care. Um, that's a little bit different than if I was like, oh man, I'm going to have this like, you know, manufacturing unit inside of my house. Like then they would be like, oh, hold on. Uh, we're not ready for that kind of, you know, peak and, and load on our system. So I understand that. And that's what I really want out of these internet providers. I pay for a certain quality of access and I would really rather pay for the actual kind of usage I have rather than you know, pre-bucketing and kind of guessing as to how much I'm going to use. And that's not what things are trending towards. And I think um, what we're seeing is that uh, as people have pointed out on Twitter, what we don't want is to have, um, I think, Portugal system, if I'm not mistaken, I've seen bandied about where you have your basic charge and then it's like, oh, you want Facebook? Guess what? That's a $5 plan. Oh, really? So you wanted Twitter and YouTube? Guess what? That's on a totally different plan. Like that's that's not what I want, right? Um, wow. Beyond the, yeah. like, even if it came out to uh, the same exact charge or heck, maybe even if it was cheaper as a consumer, that's still not what I want because I mean, those happen to be the big players now, but what happens when, you know, some new startup called Happy Fun Time comes out and should hypothetically disrupt, you know, like a Netflix, for example, just as Netflix disrupted industries before uh, that came before it, they're never going to get off the ground because you'll have the, you know, favorite players or favorite partners of these internet access providers. And that's not what we want. So even though the happier side of this is what like T-Mobile does here, we're like, hey, uh, we've decided that we've worked with Spotify and Apple Music and whoever else. I don't know. I, I'm probably wrong in the exact ones. But even if they said, oh yeah, all these other, you know, these great music streaming companies, we've decided that they don't count against your uh, your data plan. Well, okay. But what if happy fun time dot music streaming comes along? How are they going to get on there? They're never going to get off the ground because who's going to burn through the data plan on some startup they've never heard of? So that's, that's the longer term thing that I think we need to be really careful of. And again, I really just want to have it be like, I plug this thing into the wall and I pay for how much I use. So just quick question. So here we pay different rates for different times of day with our electricity, right? So, so, so theoretically they want us to do our washing and our drying and our dishwashing in the wee hours of the morning, right? So when, when the rates are lower during the middle of the day or the, or the, what they call the peak, peak times. So they don't want us using a lot of electricity during the middle of the day. 
So that's one thing. So they have these three different rates for um, mm-hmm. time of use, time of use, right? And they change that rate in the wintertime, like because, you know, in the wintertime we turn on our furnaces and the furnace fan is an electric motor and uses more electricity than you probably use in gas to heat your house. That's a fact of matter. HVAC, HVAC guys can be yelling at their phone right now. I don't care. But um, the a business though, ha- power pays more for electricity, I, I believe. Like, I, you know, like they pay more for phone services. They pay more for internet services. They pay more for, um, you know, as soon as you tack businesses on business onto the name of the, the billing party, uh, the rates go up, right? So isn't that kind of what net neutrality is trying to do is to say that, you know, the people who are, you know, like, like our company has, you know, uh, you know, a couple of hundred people per floor and we have like a 20, 20 story building. That's a lot of people using, you know, all coming out of the same IP address if, at the end of the day. Right. Um, so I guess that's the, the argument maybe that mind you, I guess we still got the same amount of bandwidth. Right. So that doesn't really hold water, but you know what I mean? Like, like the fact that, that, uh, so in the States, do they tr- not charge you different rates for electricity at time of use and, um, higher prices for businesses? They do. And let's explore that because it's not necessarily based on different profile uh, of usage, even though it, it might very well be, right? Like I assume that even the smallest, you know, uh, two-person shop uh, as a business probably uses more um, electricity and has a different uh, sort of load profile than uh, the typical house. However, I think it's really pricing that makes sense based on the kind of expectation. So if my electricity goes out in my home, I mean, that sucks. I'm going to be very unhappy at the company, but the expectations for me are like, well, I guess we're eating out tonight since our electric stove is not going to work, right? Like, all right, that, that's, there's a workaround there. There's a responsibility that's different than if I'm a business, I think it's okay for me to pay more money because I'm like, hey, my business needs to stay up 24 seven. So you better, you better fix this, right? Like I can't go out and be like, well, I'm going to go twiddle, twiddle my thumbs for like, no, I'm like not making money while this business is, is down. So um, I expect to pay a higher price for uh, higher responsiveness. Like that feels... Yeah, but I guess coming back to the net neutrality with this electricity analogy, it's like they're saying, well, you can't use your Kenmore dishwasher. You got to use your Maytag dishwasher and you can't, you know, or, or maybe you can't use your dryer at all because we're not supporting dryers. You know, is that right. Mark, is that sort of what it is? That is more like what it is. Yes. Yes. I, yeah, I don't so. think there's any argument that holds water that this is good for consumers. Uh, I, I understand that uh, the telecoms and, and the ISPs will try to make arguments like we're giving you more flexibility. You only pay for what you want, but right. these yeah. are, you know, these are, these are not real arguments in my opinion. At least. This is, this is purely good for, uh, for the big business and not good for the consumer in my opinion. Well, I mean, this whole downloadable content, iTunes, you know, Apple Music, all that kind of stuff, Netflix, you know, Hulu, all of that stuff is only good for the people that provide the service for us to access that stuff. And that's been the case. I mean, I remember thinking when Steve Jobs got up there and said, oh yeah, but you'll be able to download your your music from iTunes store anytime you want on all the devices in your house. I'm thinking that's going to be great for the people who provide the service to access that data, right? You know, that's And that's kind of where we're ending up here, right? So It's not great for know. them though, right? It's bad for them. Isn't it? Oh, well, because we can we can access it from some more places. But I'm talking about yeah. the amount of money you have to pay for the bandwidth. 
that every month, right? So yeah, I don't know. Just you can't win with these guys. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> All right. Posted uh, an article about Uber. Hang on, I got to spit on the floor. Um, about the uh, recent news that just came out this weekend about the fact that they had a huge breach of 57 million user accounts worth of data, and they tried to come up with cash. Did you guys hear about this? Yeah. Yeah. This is a, this is a pretty bad one. Um, I'll point out it was in the previous administration. So I think the new CEO is uh, is really sort of setting the stage, right? So from what we know, uh, Uber was hacked, I don't know, what was it like a year ago-ish? Yeah, something within, like that. Within the last 18 months and their security, their chief of security knew about it. Their former CEO knew about it. They paid off the hackers and apparently had them sign an NDA, which I don't understand how that works. Like, <laughs> how do you have an NDA with criminals? That doesn't make sense. Um, that's not going to hold water um, to, to keep it hush-hush and, and hypothetically delete the data. But as we said before, uh, you can never really be sure that something has ever been deleted once it's on the interwebs. Um, yeah, it's, it's terrible. Like this is the sort of thing that I mean, I hate to to throw regulation on this, but this this really feels like somebody somewhere should be in prison, right? Like there's there's like a reason in, in the financial world, for example, we have uh, Sarbanes Oxley, yeah. and um, even though that's a, a huge burden, and that's why I hesitate to bring sort of that uh, that specter uh, forward. Like it at least ensures that when people say things, you know, um, let, let's say like Tim Cook, if if Tim Cook says, "Hey, we've had our greatest holiday quarter ever." Guess what? I know that's true because if it's not, Tim Cook is going to jail, right? Like he can't mislead investors, right? Right. And that's a great thing, even though I'm sure it leads to a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, extra paperwork and all sorts of other unnecessary bureaucratic things. That's that's the downside of bureaucracy. But at least we're safe there. Uh, in this case, like, okay, well, you know, the the security guy lost a job, and so did somebody else, like from the legal team or something, uh, and, and the former CEO is already gone. But what's the consequence, right? Like, it just doesn't feel right um, from a how this was handled sort of thing. Uh, but uh, kudos again to Uber's new CEO for sort of clearing the decks and really setting um, setting an example that like, guess what? Like, that's not the way we do businesses anymore. Cleaning up our act. Yeah, I don't know. I think the word you're looking for is fiduciary duty, where you're, you're as a, uh, like a major player in a, in a, in a cor- public corporation, you're expected to protect the, the public as well as your investors, right? So you have certain responsibilities mm-hmm. you're supposed to do. And that's, that's one of the things that's, that's kind of scary about small companies and startups and things like that who don't um, understand or maybe no, don't appreciate uh, that that you have to keep people's data secure, you know, um, whether it's like a, a goofy password for some novelty app, you know, you have to put your best foot forward uh, and try to prevent um, this kind of stuff. But to throw money at, and you know, to throw money at this to sort of cover it up, that just that just stinks. I'm sorry. You know? I mean, I think it's the, the disclosure part. Like I'm okay with them throwing money to, um, to try to uh, stop the bleeding in this case, right? If it was like, yeah, okay, hacker, yeah. like, dude, we will totally give you the $100,000 if you will please not release this uh, this information. Release the actual data itself, to be clear. But then Uber should have like owned up to it and be like, yo, um, this happened. We're going to do whatever remedies, you know, probably like... Um, How about informing free, free the customers? Report, uh, uh, yeah, sort of thing, like, you know, for X amount of time, like whatever it is they normally do. Um, and they didn't do that. Like the, there was a, a huge ethical sort of boundary that they crossed here that, that doesn't sit well with me. And I think for yeah, those no. of you uh, driving at home, like when you're considering this, uh, even if you try your best to try to keep things from being hacked, uh, if you do end up with like your app or, or your backend systems are hacked, you really should disclose to your customers that that has happened. And yeah, I'm well, not going to say that people won't, won't, uh, won't be angry and that people won't uh you know leave your service but at least they'll probably feel better than they would if that like this where it's like oh by the way we tried covering it up yeah well it's no secret that uber has had lots of issues with uh with their managers
punishment and uh, less than ethical practices. Uh, and un- unfortunately, this is a potentially a, a, a big issue with, with uh, Silicon Valley companies, for example, that have very young, very inexperienced management who are, you know, they don't have the seasoning to know that this is this kind of thing is what you don't do uh, and uh, make bad decisions. Uh, take, for example, the, the current uh, scandal about uh, Facebook and and ads with Russians and ads with uh, you know hate groups and things like that that are that are going on right now. Yeah, that just seems to be a, a big uh, cycle of, of bad stories. I mean, every every day I hear something new about Facebook, and I just think you know they just don't get it. It's uh, it's funny. I, was, I overheard somebody talking at lunch today because I you know I work in the financial district, and and in the in the cafeterias you you often hear um, people talk about this. We all talk about the same sort of things. It seems right. Um, and one lady said that you know one of the, the challenges of working with uh, startups is they're cutting their teeth on you, right? And it's kind of sort of what it is. It's like they're it's all this new blood, and like you said, they sometimes it's through it's it's not through ignorance, or sorry, it is through ignorance. It's not through stupidity that these things happen. I would call um, it ignorance. Just, I would call it inexperience. Inexperience, yeah, that's that's what I'm looking for. It's yeah. that, it's that they're but they don't under they don't appreciate like you know the, why the gray beards like us are telling them you have to pay attention to this kind of stuff and you have to be really careful and blah 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 blah. And they're like, no no no, push you aside and just go off and do what they need to do. And you know, what is it? Make what is it? move fast and break things. Well, I'm sorry, don't break my personal data. That's where I draw the line. You know, like like I I know for a fact that I I closed my my Uber account down a year ago, but I don't know that they deleted my data. I don't know that they deleted my profile. I don't know that they deleted, deleted my credit cards, right? And in fact, I'm finding out now that that information might have leaked out. You know, that that's just you know uh, you know I, I'm happy. I'm really glad that we have this sort of you know this this wild west of of uh, app development and you know every you know for a while there and up to, to you know 2014 it was like everybody had an equal shot at it and you know before the indie apocalypse and all that kind of stuff and now we're getting into subscription stuff but but the fact of the matter is is that all these companies have been making all these products for so long and Uber like you know being like I would think that you know I know I'm pretty sure that Facebook I'm pretty sure that Google I'm pretty sure that I know what Apple is are aware of security and loss prevention and all that kind of stuff and go to go to great lengths to make sure that that stuff doesn't happen right um, but yeah companies like Uber and you know all the ones that have had the various HR scandals over the last you know 18 months or so that things are coming to light it's just you know this kind of stuff just irks me and it's one of the reasons why I don't trust uh, other people with my data right and and the problem is is that I'm a, I seem to be in the minority in that because a lot of people just like blindly oh I'm just going to get an Uber I'll just get an Uber it's not a big thing big deal right you know I basically made a conscious effort because I didn't appreciate Uber's business practices to cancel my account right so because I just don't want to support them anyway and, and I'm I'm like a tiny voice in the wilderness right yeah well unfortunately canceling your account doesn't help if they already had your credit card doesn't help well it doesn't help I know it doesn't but it protects me from them right at the end of the day right I'll just take a cab or, or transit or whatever, what have you or I'll drive a car or Lyft yeah. starting in a few weeks in December well that's yeah so I mean that's true Lyft is coming to Canada so that there's there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> until they get well, hacked I hate to be cynical but who says they're any better right <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, who who, who yeah, exactly. even knows? Yeah. This is more by comparison. Uh, yeah, you know, something you guys touched a little bit on is, I mean, let's be real clear here. Like, there are some absolutely brilliant people working in the Valley and, and in, let's say, like an Uber and a Facebook and Google in particular. But I mean, have you ever encountered somebody uh, that you've said, like, wow, you are the dumbest smart person I've ever met? Oh, yeah. all the time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> My high school biology teacher was, was a brilliant guy, but he couldn't teach his way out of a wet paper bag. Yeah. And so I think this is where um, a diversity of thought 
is important because it avoids that problem of like you are the dumbest per- smart person i've ever met of like how did you not yeah, consider yeah. this fact yeah i don't know well, that's where, you know, that's the, the unfortunate thing. I think that, you know, businesses have learned, I mean, we, I mean, in my entire lifetime, I, you know, I watched an entire nation of people smoking cigarettes on a regular basis and dropping like flies, you know? Um, and it's, it just took a, you know, a long time for the consensus to sort of get across people's minds that that was a bad practice, you know? And then, you know, now we're getting into the gluten-free and exercising and, you know, wearing a Fitbit and being, con- you know, getting your ring, closing your rings on your, on your Apple watch um but you know like i'm surprised that they didn't smoke on the way to the moon like like that's how bad it was back then but um yeah it's just i wish i wish that you know i guess one of my wishes is that uh these companies would at least take a minute and and learn from the mistakes that were made by our forefathers right rather than just repeating them over and over again and in and now it's much more dangerous because it's much faster to to have like it's one thing to have all this information stored in a file cabinet on paper somewhere um it's a completely different thing when that you know is like on the internet and it's gone in a matter of milliseconds right or it's 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 you know in somebody else's hands because because you forgot to close the back door or something or you had a weak password or what have you right yeah well i hate to say it with a lot of these companies it's it's all about money uh sometimes you have to get to market fast because you're running out of funding and you need to show something you mm-hmm. start making a profit and so you cut some corners here and there with possibly with the best good intentions that you're going to fix it later and then there's always something else to do so you never fix it later or you forget or or yeah or, i know i'm uh, guilty of that the too. person leaves or whatever and sometimes it's you know I, I like to think it's not intentionally i don't i don't i don't i don't think at any of these companies there were people sitting around before the fact saying we know there's a security risk here and we're going to deliberately ignore it uh well maybe there are times when they say we know this is a security risk and we're going to fix it but we just you know don't have time right now that's possible but um yeah i, I tend to well i tend to blame the, the management more than the engineers uh, who allow mm, that kind right. of thing to happen, but it's it's a tough yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of money involved. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I now work in an enterprise where you know we have uh, oversight and we have you know security teams and we have you know scanners that scan the code and we have code review and, and we discuss you know we we're taught about fraud and we're taught about you know money laundering and that kind of stuff and so we're all brought you know, brought to it because but that's the business I'm in right and it takes a lot longer to get an app out and it costs a lot more money to get an app out because of that right mm-hmm. um but you're right like this but these small companies they just they don't have the infrastructure to, to know or the institutional knowledge to know that that needs to be done right that's that's the yeah. thing about it right and, and a company like uber um, grew so fast that the guy yeah. who wrote that particular block of code or whatever who knows where he is now right i mean there's now you know a thousand more people have looked at that piece of the code since he was here or, or haven't looked at it or, or, mm-hmm. or involved in it and that person maybe that person and made all, all his money when they IPO'd and, and left the company and, and nobody's looked at that code since. And so it, it's, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse it. I mean, it's, it's bad, but um, it's, I mean, it's, it's a little, unfortunately, it's kind of reality the way things go. These companies grow so fast. And there's so much money involved. That, yeah. Well, and that's, a, you're right. That's the thing. That's a tempting thing is like, you know, as soon as it starts to grow and, and, and starts to, to and again, it, it viral things go, things like Uber go viral real quick. Right. right. Um, you know, 
you know, and it did. I remember, I kind of remember when I first heard about it and then, you know, within six months, everybody knew about it kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. it didn't take long. And then like now, now it's like, you know, we don't even, we, we don't, like getting a ride from one place to another is, is calling an Uber, right? Yep. It's become like taking an aspirin, right? So it, it, it happens so quickly. It's just, it's very, you know, I, I think the message I'm trying to get to the listeners is that, that, you know, we have to be aware of all these other sort of uh, ramifications about stuff, especially when we're storing people's data or we're, we're providing a service that stores their data. We have to be aware of all the sort of things that we, if we don't know, we need to go and find those answers. We need to find someone who knows the answers to how to protect this stuff, right? So I don't know. I mean, I, I've learned tons of stuff in the last two years working in the big mega corporation that, that I didn't know that, you know, makes, <laughs> I don't quite lose sleep at night, but, but you know, I'm kind of glad that these things, these things are in place, that uh, these extra steps and ways and measures that we go through, right? Um, they, they, sure, they cost a lot of money, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're storing people's data, right? Their livelihoods. Yep. Anywho. Okay. <laughs> On that cheery note, <laughs> what else you got for us? I mean, two other stories here. Yeah, two that came out around the same time and they cover kind of the same kind of functionality. So both um, both Microsoft and the makers of Atom for their respective editors have announced um, real-time paired coding functionality. So you'll be able to uh, fire up Atom or very soon, I guess, in the preview Visual Studio, uh, both Visual Studio Code and the mainline Visual Studio IDE and have your teammates, you know, rather than doing like, say, like a screen sharing sort of thing through like uh, Slack or Screen Hero or Team Viewer and all these other sort of um, competitive products, you would be able to view what the other person is doing through your own IDE and through your own sort of setup. Uh, if your colleague uses uh, Vim style keyboard bindings and you use, you know, default keyboard bindings that, that come through Visual Studio or Atom, that'll be okay because you're both sharing um, a session, but you're not uh, switching off uh, keyboard and mouse between each other. So I, I think these sort of uh, technologies are, are cool because that'll be a whole lot nicer. And I'll point out um, in the what'll be in the show notes for Adam's blog, they have open sourced their uh, teletype, um, no, not teletype client. What, what did they call it? Uh, teletype CRDT, where CRDT stands for conflict-free replicated data types, which when I looked that up on Wikipedia is indistributed computing, a conflict-free replicated data type is a data structure which can be replicated across multiple computers in a network where the replicas can be updated independently and concurrently without coordination between the replicas. And importantly here, where it is always mathematically possible to resolve inconsistencies which might result and have them be done in in a consistent way. I will point out that I don't believe there is any guarantee that it will resolve to a desirable output, but at least they'll all resolve to a consistent output. So I thought that was kind of cool. I'll have to read up on, on this particular conflict-free replicated data type. But that's oh. apparently what, what powers um, at least the Atom solution. I don't know what Microsoft's solution is. I love the image, though. I don't know where they got it from, on the blog. On the Atom one? The uh, the old school like uh, 1950s, 1960s kind of uh, teletype yeah, thing? Office, yep. Yeah. Back in the good old days. Yeah. Both, I mean, they're not exactly the same, but you can more or less, you know, squint and say, yeah, you know, Microsoft has their, their own implementation as well to let people uh, solve this same problem of like your your colleague or your friend is like, dude, can you 
you can you help me out with this? I'm like, all right, let me help you out. Let's see, let's see what's going on here. Right, so we'll move on to the um, picks for Thanksgiving. By the way, this is our Thanksgiving episode. I guess you guys didn't realize that. Um, it'll be out after Thanksgiving, unfortunately. But you know, while you're getting ready for your Cyber Monday sales, you can be listening to the More Than Just Code podcast episode. Should I go first? Sure. sure. All right. So the pick I have here uh, listed is from our my friend Marin Todorov, who works for Realm. Uh, they posted a thing, the iOS Thanksgiving 2017 um, libraries, tools and libraries they're thankful for. I think they asked a number of developers around the globe to uh, provide things that they uh, really appreciate. And Jess Squires uh, uh, said he likes I, uh, Xcode 9 and gives his reasons for it. Um, uh, Craig Clayton said he likes IG List Kit. We've talked about that on the show, which is the uh, Instagram uh, collection view type uh, table view stuff. Um, uh, Michelle uh, Totolo uh, posted Gulp as her uh, Java, JavaScript tool that she works with. Uh, Krzysztof Zablotsky listed Danger, uh, which is a tool he uses for code review. I'm not quite sure how he uses that. Whereas Marin uh, listed uh, Rx Swift. Oh, and friend of the show, iOS Swift and Swift nerd, um, Greg Keo posted that he likes Swift Swift tweaks. Uh, one of the products that he learned about when he was at Facebook, I guess. Um, what was it about? I don't know if you guys have heard any of these tools before, but uh, it's worth a look. One one person here lists Keras, which he uses to do um, machine learning uh, libraries with, uh, working with TensorFlow and things like that. Um, Chameleon, we talked about Chameleon before in one of our episodes before. That's a sort of a library for making color palettes for your iOS apps. Yeah, that's it. I don't know if you've seen any of these tools before, but uh, the last one was Flawless, which is a, an app that lets you take a, a visual design and your iOS app and and over superimpose them on top of each other so that you can see how close to the design your uh, execution in code is is matching up. So interesting tools. So some a list of tools there for people building apps. Yeah, I've, I've uh, heard of most of these, but I will admit that the only one I've actually used is Xcode 9. Um, <laughs> and this yeah, refactoring stuff, I've not used the any of the sanitizers. Um, yeah. Interesting that Greg, uh, well, one, uh, interesting that Greg flew the Canadian flag and was like, oh, pretty sure Thanksgiving was last month. Yeah, 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 culturally appropriate. That's true. Uh, we're, we're trying to be inclusive here. Um, interesting that he chose Swift tweaks because I, I do remember using um, Facebook tweaks uh, back in the day when I was uh, selling me more Objective-C code. Um, and it was really useful for working in a um, sort of fast iterative environment where in, in my case, I just really got, uh, uh, I don't know, I, I, I'll say it negatively, but, it, but it, think of it more positively. Um, so I really decided, like, all right, I cannot deal with all of the feedback from the CEO, the CTO, the marketing guy, and uh, the UX designer. I, I can't take all this feedback and iterate fast uh, quickly. So using something like a tweak is like, hey, why did you all, um, I'm going to give you a build. Uh, if you want to change the, let's say like the uh, timing on some particular animation, go knock yourselves out. I, I've done my best, um, you know, my guess, best guess as to how long this should take, but it's just a number. Go into the tweaks menu and change it until you all agree that you, you feel like it's been a pretty good case and then just output the data to me and send it to me and I'll go make it official in the code. You barely, this animation runs at uh, precisely 200 milliseconds, for example. But uh, I do recall that using it in, um, from what I've seen or heard that using that in um, in a Swift world was uh, all sorts of pain and probably not worth the effort. So it's good to see that Swift tweaks is available to give you that same kind mm-hmm. of power. And that's something I'll, yeah. I'll take a look at and see if it uh, it ends up being useful. Yeah, you can also change colors and things like that. So yeah, it's a neat, neat thing, neat way of wrapping up your, your uh, settings as a, you know, I guess, or somewhere in a file that you can access easily to change them on the fly. Yeah, without having to do a full rebuild. rebuild yeah, something yeah. you can yeah. hand off to a design team 
team or a product management team and say, all right, y'all knock yourselves out. I'm going to go do some other code and then we'll circle back and say, okay, how do you feel? Right, right. Yeah, I think, um, what's her name? Ellen Shapiro talked about a similar tool that she used at one of our companies. So my second pick is a, a post here called Optimizing Swift Build Times. And this is just a series of things you can try out. It's on a, in a GitHub page listing off and, and the readme just is quite extensive on some things that you can use to uh, try and speed things up. Um, apparently type checking can eat up a lot of processing time. So there's some some uh, settings you can do inside of um, the build settings to provide you with warnings so things that are going to take a long time to do build. And so you get the, you know, the yellow warning signs in your code um, when you go to do a build and run to uh, do that. And actually he's listed off a couple. I think we talked about some of these articles before talking about, um, there's an article here by uh, Jess Squires again, Jesse Squires again on measuring Swift compile times, Xcode 9 and so on and so forth. But other things like um, slowly compiling files, um, you can look at um, using an active build architecture only. If you need to den- generate your DSIM files, you they don't normally get built with develop builds but you or debug builds, but you can um, you can turn that on as well. Um, you know, different kinds of tips in here. Uh, things are like third-party dependencies, which is Mark's favorite topic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Co- Coco Co- Pods uh, is one. Carthage is another one, a little harder to use, but um, ways of dealing with that. Modularizing your code. Um, the difference between using XIBs and story storyboards. Um, let's see what he's saying here. Hmm. And yeah, diff- and using different kind of schemes to test your uh, to control the uh, the builds loads and things. Like that. So it's quite a, quite extensive um, set of tips here. So we'll post this in the show notes for people to go and have a look at different ways to uh, try and speed up your time. But the one of the things I think the type checking was one that was um, something that sparked our interest uh, at the office there um, when you're building or when you're compiling, I should say. I haven't looked at them yet, but I will because speeding up my Swift build is something I'm very passionate Mm -hmm. about right now. I have fairly slow builds, so I'd love to be able to speed it up. So I'm definitely going to give this a good look at. Yeah, there's a number of um, links that link off of this as well, right? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, the general word is it's it it was a lot slower. I mean, it's it's getting faster or better, I guess, in in terms of how things build. But, you know, we've been battling with build times as well, um, as you can imagine. Yeah, I I, uh, I do think that starting with Xcode 9.1, the builds got a lot faster. I think I mentioned that before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Has anybody else noticed that? Yeah, it does seem to be a bit better. We started using it, uh, I started using it a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's been pretty good. I haven't timed it, but um, here at the very bottom of this suggestion is showing build times in Xcode, where there's a defaults parameter that you can write that will show you in Xcode the actual uh, time there. That I think that's something I want to go yeah, do right. so yeah. I don't have to sort of guess or sit down with a stopwatch and time it and just like, all right, mm-hmm. give me a report. You know, how long did it actually take? Um, I think that's something I want to try to, to see if that improvement there that you mentioned, uh, Mark. And also, I'm interested in trying this um, new Xcode build system that's apparently uh, in a preview mode where I will absolutely love to have uh, faster Swift builds, um, Swift code builds. So I'm going to try that out and see if um, if that's successful. I don't know that I'll uh, try to convince the you know our team to switch you know for like you know, actual official uh, CI builds, but at the very least, it, it might be something we can do locally to speed up our development time, iteration time. So this is under um, on GitHub under Fast Red. We'll put a link in the show notes, and it says maintainer is Eric Holko. So I guess we'll thank him for that. Uh, well, I don't know who Fast Red is. Let's see, Eric Holko. There you go. Thanks, Eric. All right. Um, who's next? I think it's uh, probably mine. Um, there's an article here by uh, John Sundell. Wait, is it John Sundell? No, it's Sundell. Swiftbysundell.com. Either way, I'm sure I've probably got that wrong. But uh, it's an article on uh, avoiding force unwrapping in Swift unit tests, which mm-hmm. I think I've uh, 
I've been sort of on the principle of things a little bit less critical of using force unwrapping in unit tests because it's not not production code, right? It, it doesn't matter as much. Um, and even though when I see in in production code, if I see force unwrapping, I'm look at it a little bit, you know, with a little bit of a leery eye of like, wait, hold on, you know, let's, let's make sure is that actually the right thing? Maybe maybe a guard statement would have been better here to or a nil coalescing operator or or some other sort of thing might have been a better approach to to avoid crashing. But you know, crashing in unit tests, hey, that's fine. I'd, I'd rather than not, but uh, it's probably better to see that it, it, it does crash and you can go fix the bug. He proposes something here that um, I'm interested in trying because uh, I have dealt with some of the situations where, all right, well, this particular thing that I pull in uh, isn't guaranteed to be there. So I'll either force unwrap it, which is not great, or use a guard statement with an XCT fail to be like, all right, we really should never have gotten here, but somehow you got here. So surprise, go fix something. Um, he proposes something that, that seems relatively lightweight. So I'm, I'm very excited to try it out where he's got an extension to XE test case that creates a generic require um, statement or function as well as a um, generic require error. So the sort of TLDR in it is that if you were to do something like as he has here towards the bottom, uh, let's say your user uh, comes from a uh, service.logged in user. If you've ever done the sort of like try statement with optionals where you can do like try blah, 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 uh, and then have that be optional and then, hey, you guard against it. Well, in this case, if you use this require, and it's, it's only a handful of lines of code and it does some nice things like uh, it takes in the expression and it uses Swift default values where you could pass in the um, the name of the file and the actual line. But guess what? Um, the default parameters or default arguments, whatever that might be called, well, allows it to use the uh, pound file and pound line or hashtag line, hashtag file to automatically get that for you. So when you see something explode in a unit test, it'll say, hey, guess what? In this particular file, which is probably your test case, and on this particular line, this thing blew up where you tried saying, well, I'm going to require that this user actually be here before the uh, the next you know testing statements run. I think that would be really useful because sometimes you know I'll run a suite of unit tests and be like, what the heck? Why did this blow up? And then I have to go dig through and find it. Whereas uh, just a little bit of uh, extension code here would make it a whole lot easier for me to find that sort of thing. Yeah, right. Cool. This is going up on our hip chat Slack thing tomorrow for sure. <laughs> yeah, when I get back to uh, to the office after the holiday break, I think I want to try that out and see if it's worth it. And I'll, I'll oh, try to do right. some follow up. Got a holiday break coming up, you lucky dogs. Wait, didn't you have yours? When do they not close the office for Canadian Thanksgiving? Yeah, they kind of sort of do. <laughs> we get a day. We don't get two days on a bunch of football games like you guys do, right? Well, that's because of the exchange rate differences, Tim, as, as you're always <laughs> pointing out. <laughs> and, and Tim, you're welcome to watch the football games. I think we have our. I think our Great Cup is this weekend, actually. I think the Toronto Argonauts against some other team from somewhere else are, are battling it out for whatever it is they battle out for. Great Cup, I guess. That's why they call it the Great Cup, I guess. Eh? Is it a cup full of maple syrup? All right, no. Edit that out. Poutine. Come on, get with the program. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So people, some of you may have noticed that I've been somewhat quiet about uh, what I actually do for my day job for, the, for a while now. And it's because I've been at a startup that's in, has been in stealth mode, still is, still is in, in stealth mode. So I still can't say too much about it, but, but I can say uh, that the company is called Skydio and we make uh, drones that are autonomous and really is some pretty amazing technology that's revolutionary the way drones are going to work. And uh, we are hiring. So we're looking for all sorts of positions, but specifically we are looking for an iOS developer, uh, an Android developer, and a mobile QA engineer. 
want. So if you have any, anyone out there has any interest, uh, drop me a line. Uh, it's a pretty hot startup, I have to say. Uh, we were just ranked as by Business Insider as one of 51 startups to bet your career on in 2018, according to the article. We can post the article in the show notes. Um, it's it's pretty cool stuff, you know, especially if you have any interest in in drones or or uh, hardware and software, how they work together, because um, we have both hardware and software in the company, and it's very uh, tightly intertwined. Uh, and it's all uh, the the user facing experience is all mobile based. So if you have some interest, drop me a line. Love to talk to you. You do pretty yeah. much have to be. Can we tweet about this? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess you can tweet about it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be vague. We'll be vague, but yeah, I mean, tweet the art. If you want to tweet the article, that would be okay. Okay, sure. All right. Yeah. Now you do pretty much yeah, have to be in here in the Bay Area. Uh, remote won't work because they're so you know we're so close to the hardware. Remote won't really work too well. But uh, you know, I mean, relocation is a possibility, I suppose. So so yeah, drop me a line if you have any interest. Sure, go to, go go work with Dr. Mark Rubin himself. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Star of uh, Roundabout uh, Creative Chaos. Yeah, and a lot of other good people, <laughs> very smart people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All righty, that's cool. All right, our, our job board is back up in action again. Yep. Um, yeah, I guess you know I could say that TD Bank is always hiring too. So if you're an Android or iOS developer or a QA person, hit us up, hit me up. You know, um, what about uh, your your neck of the woods there, Jaime? Yeah, Simple is hiring people of various kinds of roles, um, including engineering and um, product management and security and what else? Yeah, technical writers and all sorts of. Unfortunately, as of this recording, uh, we are not looking to expand our uh, iOS and Android teams, but uh, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, uh, I guess, for a podcast. Uh, I don't know uh, about any specific plans, and certainly I couldn't speak to them even if I knew about them. Um, but I would not be surprised, you know, going into 2018 as, as folks start uh, getting hiring budgets and all sorts of things that we might expand that sort of thing. Probably very similar to TD that uh, we are always hiring. It just depends on what exactly we're hiring for. Yeah, and I should say we we uh, we have a couple of locations. I'm in, I work in Toronto, but we also do have a location down in Maine working on our U.S. products. So if you're out that way wanna, and you're interested in a job, let us know. Oh, the, the, if we're doing that, then I might as well uh, point out that uh, even though Simple is headquartered in Portland, I do not live in Portland. I continue to live here in the Seattle area. So um, there's no mm-hmm. guarantee that every job will be remote friendly, but the company in general is very remote friendly. So uh, you might be able to do that as well. So, uh, sure. I can't, because uh, I'm sure given we have an international audience, uh, I don't think we normally, I don't think we have anybody who's outside of the US. So when we say remote, we mean remote within the United States of America, unfortunately. Yeah, the left coast probably, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we do have people all over the place uh, on the East Coast, uh, in the Midwest, in the Southwest, all, all sorts of uh, folks. Um, but I, if you're sitting out there in uh, in Canada or you're sitting in Brazil or other non-U.S. places, I don't think at this time that we're uh, taking international folks, just to clarify. Uh, so, hey, Jaime, if people want to get a hold of you on the interwebs, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the hair. All right. If Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they get a hold of you? Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right. That's two Ps, right? Two Ps. Right. Or you can you can tweet at me at smapsoft. No guarantee that I'll reply, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or get in touch with me. I'll get in touch with Mark for you. That works. Um, yeah. My name is Timitra. I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. And uh, that's it. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. 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 If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. 
If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find out the details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Mark, are you still getting set up or do you think that you can talk to us right now? Because we can't hear you if you are saying something. Oh, here you can hear me? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh, now we can hear. Him. How are you guys doing today? Good. Doing good. I'm sitting here playing with my phone. Nice. Cool, cool, cool. I Speak up. <laughs> oh, am I quiet? Yeah, you were quiet. Yeah. Okay, is that better? So what's going on? A new phone? A new phone. All right. Only mm-hmm. uh, it just arrived today? It just arrived today. Yep. Okay, cool. Only about three weeks late. Have you got it set up or you just... I got it set up. Okay. I had to... And my over Everything migrated. I had to had to spend some time with AT and T on the phone to get it turned on. Get the LTE turned. Oh, on. activated. Yeah, yeah. But it's now working. It was like so. I had no problems. So with why would the, that be? Don't you don't you just pop the SIM in and uh, should go right? It was a new SIM. Or do they have to activate it? Came with a new SIM. Huh? Came with a new SIM. Oh, and you can't pop the old one out from the old phone? Well, I guess I could have, but mm. uh, you know, but why? Right? <laughs> yeah, I haven't changed SIMs in a long time. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because uh, actually the Rogers site. There's a place you because you know the uh, the number that's on the SIM the I don't know if it's the IMEI number or whatever but um, on Rogers site you can actually go in and punch in the new number if you change SIMs from one phone to the other they did that because at one point remember the iPhone used to have a bigger SIM and then they went to the uh, nano SIM and I think now we're on the micro SIM so yeah but like like I just pop mine out of one phone and pop it into another all the time so right and I take it back I actually I mean I guess it's still been a while so it's still technically accurate but I did actually exchange SIMs because one of my SIMs went bad in my iPhone. Five. Oh, really? Yeah. So I went to the Apple store first. They were like, oh, well, we put a new SIM and it works just fine. So it must be your SIM. Go take it to Verizon and took it to Verizon and got it taken care of. So other than that, I've not had to exchange a SIM from one device to the other. It's just been, okay, activate your new device. Everything goes great. So it feels like we were across the board. So Tim, you had uh, an utter failure from trying to, to migrate things. I had a half failure and Mark's went smooth and clear. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. It's just very odd. So you had a half failure. So you, so you didn't think about like, so what I do is when the first one didn't work for me, you know, I reset the phone and then I went back and, and I, and I think I was, I was, I was up at the cottage. So I really couldn't, you know, I didn't, couldn't go online and spend any time on data. By the way, I got a huge data bill after, after this, that particular weekend. Um, cause I had to publish the podcast from up there too. Right. But, um, uh, so I, I actually erased my phone three, three times. And then the third time was, was with the un- unencrypted backup, which was the one that worked for me. But, and I can tell you this just as a, as a point of fact that, the second time around, I didn't set up Face ID on the phone, right? So of course, there's no <laughs> home button, and you'd be surprised at how many times you it kicks into Face ID mode to open up various apps or even just to open up the phone. It's a major pain in the butt if you don't turn on Face ID on an iPhone 10. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Mm-hmm. It's no way for sure.
All right. Yeah. So, Mark, you got you had a flawless transfer, right? Eh? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say the entire experience was flawless. If you guys remember the issues I've been having. Yeah, there seemed to be a little bit of angst there, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, my, my phone was was it two weeks or three weeks? I don't know. Late. Uh, and right, uh, right. You know, Apple finally came through and sent me a replacement phone after UPS quote lost it, but uh, mm-hmm. it certainly was not within the two days and expedited shipping that they told me it was going to be. Uh, and the free case that they promised me for my trouble never materialized. Oh, really? Yep. Never huh. came. Just never heard another thing about it. Uh, and then uh, today with UPS, they were supposed to get a signature for the thing and uh, they just left it at my door. I was pretty shocked. By that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Especially, yeah. especially right around now with the holidays and thefts are rampant. They just, yeah, they just left it at the door. Luckily, I was, uh, I worked from home this afternoon, so I was here and I heard the guy leave it. He didn't even ring the bell. He just mm-hmm. threw it at my door and laughed. Pretty surprised by that. Wow. <laughs> but it's working now. And and the one glitch I had in, in the installation, which I can't blame Apple for, is that just as I started to do the installation, my Wi-Fi went down. So I was stuck for a while. I couldn't finally, I couldn't finish uh, getting it uh, getting it started with the, you know, wouldn't do the iCloud store over over uh, LTE. Mm-hmm. I have to do it over Wi-Fi. Oh, so you do iCloud backup. Yeah. You don't back up to your disk, right? And, and Jaime, do you do iCloud backup? Or you I backup? have iCloud backup and I was going to go that route to get my stuff to, to load. But I mean, it seemed to look like it was doing well. It's like, oh, hold your phone next to the other phone. Oh, great. Transfer everything over. Oh, that's, that seems really cool. You know, do you want to use this watch? Heck yeah, I want to use this watch. Um, and then I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to leave this here. I'll come back about an hour. I'll, I'll eat my dinner and I'll see how far it's gotten. And I came back and I was like, this is halfway done. Like It only does the major account information, like the, the, the accounts and logins. It doesn't do data restore. So unless- like, it looked like that's what it was trying to do. It was like trying to download apps and other things. I was like, all right, you know, looks like it's going to download these ones. I'll just go leave while it does its Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, right, right. Okay. And then I came back. I was like, uh, this is still in the same state it was when I left an hour ago. Like literally nothing has happened. Um, You know, music and stuff were largely there, it looks like, but like none of the apps had gone through. I was like, at this rate, it won't finish until, you know, this time tomorrow. Right, Um, right. So that's where I said, well, I better go back to the uh, trusty old iTunes backup. And Yeah, no, no. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, because I have a couple of family members who rely on the on the iCloud thing and and there was a lost phone this summer long story but yeah and then we found out that it takes like a good 10 12 hours to restore off iCloud which is another reason why I'm not a big fan of that um, but I've even noticed with the disk restore that it, any songs that I manually put onto the phone don't get transferred over mm-hmm. um, so all the all the stuff that I purchased on the store, I guess it just creates a, a, a symbolic link or whatever to those those tunes. They don't actually download until you go to play them, right? But um, uh, yeah, it's, it's not been right. a complete just, backup. Just check but, that, and it's true. Uh, none of the none of the songs that I moved onto my phone, the previous phone, are on the new phone. Right. Well, it makes sense to me though, because if you think about it, right, and and the new thing it's doing now, I'm not sure if this is an iOS 11 thing or it came out on iOS 10, but um, it doesn't actually download the apps to your phone, like the thing is I think that iTunes backup never backs up things that you can readily get again like you can download apps from the app store so why would they why would they go through the effort of, of you know it's kind of like lazy loading right why would you go through the effort of putting that stuff in a backup and then restoring it because it takes sure. it eats up space to back it up it eats up space to restore it you know if you need the app you just you get the little cloud icon and you click on it and down it comes just like you know the the update path when you're doing updates right um, so that's always made sense to me that that but it, it does bother me because I can tell you the number of times I've moved from one phone 
one to the other and like, oh yeah, that, that pile of music that I have on my, my server that I drag over every single time I update my phone. I mean, the one benefit is I get to change up the tunes I'm listening to, but yeah. um, because I don't have everything in, iCl- in, in iTunes purchase per se, and I don't use Apple music. Yeah. Right? So, but I, but I do have that, yeah. uh, that silly U2 album on my phone, <laughs> on the new phone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you yeah. can't re- get rid of it. I've tried deleting it before and it seriously comes back. Yeah. Well, there, there was a, there was a thing that they published to get rid of. I've never actually gone through that, but there is a way to get rid of it. Right. So I tried doing that and it still comes back. Not <laughs> really? all the time. It comes back later. Not all the oh. time. It just like, it, it waits, it waits until I'm unaware and then I hit it's it and the playlist and I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it all comes back all but one tablespoon, right? <laughs> so in my Part case, like uh, it, a big benefit of having the iTunes backup is that um, all that data that would normally be um, encrypted is there, right? So like mm. most mm-hmm. apps were, you know, oh, I'm already still logged into it. Um, unfortunately, I think it was... Again, Tim, it was like halfway in between like being success and not being success, uh, you know, like in your case where, um, like the authenticator stuff didn't come over for like uh, the Google authenticator, um, two factor authentication stuff. Like one thing on my list came through. So I've been setting up my two factor authentication with like GitHub and Google and all these other things and extra annoying. Like I can do all those for my own personal accounts. Now I get to go enjoy doing this again with when I go back to work for, uh, with IT and say, Hey, IT, I, I need access to our systems again seven plus it's i still keep it charged so it's you know i can still access the systems if i need to but um that, that's such a weird hassle and it yeah, i true. suspect i suspect that the one reason this didn't go smoothly as it has for years now for every phone that i've, I've migrated to is it almost certainly has something to do with those stupid 32-bit apps not coming over to ios 11 yeah, yeah. well so- my phone list and not my um my app store purchase list i was like why is it spinning indefinitely on these apps and like these apps are 32 bit apps these would never come over to this device so i'm almost certain this is a, a test case that was not covered when they when they did so here, here's, a, here's a thought that i just had and based on what you were, you were just saying you sort of tweaked the memory for me but so okay in this this time though every all three times that i tried to do restore i did the quick setup jazz first right whereas in the past with previous phones i would have taken the phone plugged it into itunes said treat it like a new phone and restore it from backup like in other words not put any account information on, you know, after the, you get the hello thing and the hello screen and, um, you know, you set up the bare minimum stuff, right? And that, so maybe the, maybe the setting up of the, the, you know, the quick setup kind of messes up the account information and that's why it can't, I guess Apple's sort of falling onto the, we're not sure. So we're going to do nothing approach. You know, we're going to throw an error up instead. Um, maybe that's their, their angle there. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, the one thing I didn't try because I'm sure there's people, uh, shaking their fists right now. Um, I probably, in retrospect, if I wasn't under time pressure, I was like, oh my God, like I've got this thing going on like early in the morning. I don't have enough time to mess around with a, a half enabled phone. Um, I probably yeah. should have factory reset it and then tried doing another restore. Well, that's, that's that what I did three form. times. Yeah. That's what I did three times. And, and, uh, like in, in just, you also tweaked my memory about the IT part at the bank and it's your account is tied to one phone, right? So in order to get, in order to move from one phone to the other, I had to let them, them know that I've moved to this new phone 
phone and so they disabled the old one and they re-enabled this one and they re-enrolled this one into the into the plan right so um so that was another that was another thing for me like if i had to do so for a couple of days i had no access to my my business email um, account because like on my phone that is i had access other ways right and and, and just mm-hmm. a point of fact just just shout out to the folks over at one password is that the second iteration of my restoring my phone first app i the first app i put on my phone every single time i went through this process is i put one password on and then for the for the couple of days that i was like without uh, access to my backup because i was out, up in the cottage country i put slack on it and i put i um twitter on it and i and pretty much like just everything i needed i just went to one password and with i don't know if you guys have tried it yet but one password with face id is like it's mana from the gods it's like it's mm-hmm. so easy to use right i'd agree with know. that as well uh, hashtag not an ad not a sponsorship um yeah we're not getting sponsored by but i but i i went password seven you know is awesome yeah when so i ended up in this weird situation Sorry, where Jack. i've you know there are people who do clean installs of yeah, yeah they, they yeah. don't restore from backup and it's like oh i'm just gonna manually go brand all my stuff i sort of did that where i was like all right whatever's loaded on here i'm just gonna like stop everything so there are no spinny wheels in my app store purchase list and i just went through and said all right i'm gonna triage and manually pull over uh, everything that i need so you know like while i was watching television i don't know i was watching the sounders play or something i can't remember what i was watching some sort of sporting event and one of the first things that i pulled over you know after the authenticator stuff to make sure i could still get into gmail and and github and everything was one password i was like oh holy smokes if anything didn't come over i better at least be able to easily log into all my apps yeah yeah for sure so that was absolutely something and i got very very familiar with the uh, the little spinny face uh, face yeah, idea yeah. so it was, it was very very cool but well the one the one cool thing i'll say about about uh, about the restore process i mean one thing i've always appreciated is that you know that every app has a documents folder and that's where your user data is stored even if you don't restore the app um that's that's the most important part of the backup for me or restore for me is, is i want to make sure that i get all my credit for all the black box puzzles i've i've solved by the way i've solved them all by namwork um <laughs> Oh. And I don't know if you've done the last. Is that last huh? one? I haven't done any time on it. Uh, I haven't figured it out. Yeah. So I was, I was, well, I was dicking around with my new phone, and I figured, well, I'm, I, I got to have a distraction because I was, you know, rather than smashing it against the table, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't that bad, but yeah, no, I, I actually managed to, to. That was another thing that I managed to, to cross off my list was getting that last puzzle mm-hmm. solved. But yeah, I want to make sure that I got all the credit for all the things. So like, and all the, you know, the data and the PDFs and stuff that I have stored in Acrobat and all my, all my iBooks that I've manually put into the, my system. Uh, those those things do get backed up when you do an iTunes backup, whether it's iCloud or, or to a Mac or whatever. But and I want to make sure those get back. So I've always thought it was pretty cool that Apple um, is able to put the Documents folder back in, even if you don't reinstall the app. Right, you know, the Documents directory for some reason gets uh, put on your phone. I guess sort of floats around in Ether until till till what? Because because you're right. I also I mean, did think for a minute. Okay, like maybe I should just you know start from scratch, right? Because you know I remember the Jaguar bug. Everybody got burned by the, I don't know if you remember the Jaguar uh, Panther bug. Uh, there was some, there was a couple of files that got left over in the preferences that messed up people's, you know, uh, Panther upgrade from Jaguar. So I don't know if you remember that. But no, I was, not, I was not in the uh, the Mac world. I had, I had uh, not seen the light at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, essentially my Apple, my uh, Mac account um, is probably pretty close to the first one since I started on the beta program in 99 because I just, I've just, I've migrated from one machine to another. I think maybe one once or twice I did a absolute clean install clean install but yeah I mean same thing with my phones I mean I've got pictures on my phone that were taken with the very first iPhone that I had right so to this day so yeah anyway that's cool so what are you guys doing for Thanksgiving 
Traveling? I'm traveling to Sunnyvale. Eating turkey? Not very far. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just some friends are having uh, having a big feast, so I'm going to go for that. A big feast? Oh, yeah. where's Sunnyvale? Like, it's in the it's, Bay Area? Or... Yeah, yeah, it's it's just north of Cupertino. It's it's actually the uh, where the new Apple building is. That's Sunnyvale, although the other end. Of oh, the is it? Oh, okay. Yep. yep. Right, okay. Hmm, the spaceship. How's that looking these days? I haven't been by it, but uh, I was just I just saw an article about it. They were talking about the uh, the second spaceship, which is the one you blocks away. I think when you were here, Tim, we actually drove by it and it was still under construction. Uh, the big giant one, yeah, yeah. No, no, the, there's a second one. Oh, is there? Yeah, yeah, there's a second one on Wolf and Central, which is maybe four. Not the, not, we're not talking about the Apple Park, right? It's not part of Apple Park. It's a separate campus, about four or five blocks away from, oh, really? from Apple Park. Yeah, yeah, been going on the whole time. Huh. It's much smaller than Apple Park, so it hasn't gotten all the press that uh, Apple Park is. Oh, I'm going to have to look on the satellite map here. Let me get the Cupertino up here. <laughs> yeah. I was not aware of that. Yeah, I was looking at uh, Sunnyvale. Sunnyvale is what, like six miles away from the San Jose airport? Yeah, that's about right, I guess. Yes. Cool, cool. Apparently, it's an Apple Park in Ontario. Oh, this is the one I want. One Apple Park way. Wait a minute. I'm sorry, this is completely off topic here. I'm like, Levi Stadium is here? That is unreasonably far from San Francisco. <laughs> no wonder, I knew people complained about it. I didn't realize it was this far south. Oh, yeah, no, Levi Stadium is totally Holy in in Santa Clara. It's, it's very close to San Jose. Yeah, nowhere close to San Francisco. So who plays wow. there? The San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Holy Candlestick wasn't that, wasn't like no, that. No, Candlestick was wow. very close. Very, very close to San Francisco. Yeah, Levi Stadium could Completely on the other side of the world. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like it's kind of like Ottawa. They have uh, the, where the Ottawa Senators play hockey is nowhere near um, Ottawa. It's like it's actually Nepean. You know, I don't know if you guys have heard of Avril Levine, but it's where she's from. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. It's like it's like you know, it's kind of it's not as far as as from Santa Clara to to San Francisco, but um, it's it's a, it's a hike. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if you have changed climate, not even weather, but like climate is different, it probably yeah. Doesn't count as being in the same area, right? Right, and uh huh. I'm not so nice. What's that? Article. I think we're losing Mark. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not hearing you, Mark. What's not so nice? Yeah, I'm I will. Using it now. As soon as I find the articles, my internet is just awful, taking forever to load. Hey, as soon as you do what with the iPhone? What? No, I said my. Internet All we heard was awful and slow. Yeah, we heard that. Uh, here's, yeah. here's, but you got real robotic there. Here's, oh, which is a good sign. Good time. Good time for us to sort of say that's it, folks, for another day. Because it's like one o'clock in the morning, like, <laughs> free up some bandwidth for uh, all those buckethead downloads to come down. <laughs> too much phone, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's just the problem is too much buckethead on your yeah. phone. <laughs> so and all the all the uh, Grateful Dead concerts he went to, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, right? Yeah, I'm always worried. I'm like, oh no, like I, I can see sometimes during the show, like, is that an overcast whole bunch of episodes downloading? I hope that doesn't kill my internet while we're on the show. <laughs> yeah, they don't. Download in the background, do they? Went overcast. They I haven't you? set to do that, but normally oh. there aren't episodes that come out at the same time we're recording. But sometimes there are. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I hope my internet stays oh, good enough really? for this show. Uh, it, I feel like Zoom does a much better job of that uh, being concurrent with other things than Skype. Can you hear me now? Yeah. For, yes. Yeah, yeah. Take a look at yeah. Slack. I just posted this in the Slack. In the Slack. Eh? See, that's what it was. You were posting stuff in Slack. That's what. Came well, no, I was trying to find the thing to post in Slack. Most expensive places. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That just came out today. Top twenty five. Metropolitan based on so so what is the number? Mean? That's, oh, that's how that's the income you need to buy a, the mm. median priced house based on. Oh, wait, that's the income you need in American. American yep. Wow. Yep. So Florida's looking pretty good. Yeah, if you don't mind hurricanes. 
if you don't mind right. swamp water, right? For- well, Boston's not cheap either. So so let's do the let's do the math here. So I think I think the average Canadian is probably sitting around. I want to think like just doing the conversion. What is it like one a dollar thirty three right now Canadian? I would say like you know somewhere around you know Chicago Dallas is where the average Canadian mm-hmm. would sit in terms mm-hmm. of salary. Well, this wow. isn't saying what the average you- salary is. This no, is it's true. But 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 we we do know we do know that that salaries in in like for especially for for mobile developers in in the Bay Area have to be higher, yeah. right? Because yeah. cost of living is so high. So where's San Diego? San Diego is very far south. Uh, it's right on the border of Mexico. It's in California. Oh, it's Calif- still yeah. California. Yeah. Okay, right. And then see, it's, it's funny. It's like San Jose, San Francisco, San Diego, Los Angeles, and then New York, Boston, yeah. and then Seattle, surprisingly mm-hmm. too, in Washington. Surprise! Seattle is so far down the list. Really? It ha- it almost certainly has to be. So it says like so. Look at what it says here. The amount of household income required to buy a median priced price. Right. Ooh. So of course, uh, San Jose, San Francisco, it doesn't surprise me. They're they're up at the top. Um, yeah. I'm guessing that. But it's yeah, it's Seattle again. I'm still surprised. How much higher the the values are than everywhere else. Well, let me ask you a question, Mark. How often do people sell their houses in your neighborhood where you live? Like, do you see houses go up for sale all the time, or uh, like I mean, one or two? Yeah, every now and one then? or two every now and then. Do they flip yes. real quick? Yeah, it's kind of like it is here too. Yeah, it's huh. it's it's still pretty it's pretty tough to buy a house around here, even though the salaries are high. Uh, yeah, the the amount that the salaries are higher than elsewhere is not even close to how much higher the housing is compared to elsewhere. So let me ask you something. So when you when you get to retiring, yeah. right? Would you stay where you are, or would you move to a, a community where it would it's a good question? I mean, I could sell my house. My house is paid off, so I could sell it and move yeah. somewhere else, and you know, buy a well, buy a way nicer house, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, you know, probably I could probably even pay for my retirement in some places with just the profit I made, you know, from yeah, yeah, you know, from my house to somewhere else. But you know, there's there's not a lot of other places I'd really want to live. You know, it's pretty nice here. Yeah, pretty nice here. Yeah. That. yeah, yeah. Mm. But are, are there less expensive places to live in the Bay no. Area? Like, I mean, if you moved like no. Monterey uh, well, or something, or Monterey is not really the Bay Area. But sure, the further away from the actual Bay Area you get, the cheaper it gets for sure. You could move yeah. to say yeah. Sacramento or or the Central Valley if you really wanted to. Uh, and some people like it there. I shouldn't knock it, but but it's not. Yeah, but Sacramento is quite a drive from from the Bay yeah, Area. Yeah, it's like about, th- it's about a three-hour drive from the Bay Sacramento. Area. Yeah, and Monterey is about an hour drive from the Bay Area. Mm. But you know, one end of the Bay Area to the other end of the Bay Area is, is an hour. So, well, what's Oakland like compared to San Francisco? Uh, Oakland is a is an interesting place because it has some really, really, really high end places and some really, 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 really bad places um, where it's yeah. kind of not so safe to walk around. You know, it's that, it's that bad. Um, but but there are places that are just amazing. So Oakland is is kind of a funny place. Tim, did we ever talk about on the show? Um, I don't know if it was probably after show because it's not really tech related. But it was like a map overlaying between San Francisco and, and Oakland. There was a map overlaying like here's where all the Trader Joe's are and here's where all the Walmarts yeah. are. And you can kind of <laughs> guess which side. There was literally no overlap. Yeah, <laughs> there was literally no overlap between those places. Yeah. yeah. So are you saying there's a lot of a lot of Walmarts in Oakland? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. maybe less so true now because it's it's uh what's the word they use gentrifying, uh, gentrifying right like all those engineers who who bus in or train in from, mm. from Oakland going into San Francisco. Yeah. Oh, is there a commuter train that goes across that bridge? There is. Yeah, BART goes across the bridge. Oh, the BART. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, right. for sure. Uh, Oakland has in recent years become very hipster. So a lot of a lot of trendy, you know, artsy people live.
live there uh, now. So it definitely has gotten gentrified. But again, but there are, you know, it's it's kind of a tale of two cities. Half the city is still pretty, pretty run down and dangerous. Hmm. Gone for the vanity is kind of dangerous. Yeah, eh? kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the interesting thing about this chart is this is the first time I've ever seen San Jose being higher than San Francisco. It was always San Francisco was a more expensive place. Really? Uh, hmm. But now, yeah, it's swapped. And, and it, all those Apple employees, yeah, I'm telling you. And it's dramatic how much higher <laughs> San Jose is. Like, I was really kind of shocked to see that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's mm-hmm. quite a bit. Yeah, here I am looking at, at Austin, the difference between Seattle and Austin. Like, hmm. Yeah, yeah. See, there we go. That's a place we could go, Mark. So you could, uh, I don't know about sell. I think you're probably better off with the market um, renting either as like an apartment or just hell, Airbnb the damn thing the entire time. Holding. No, Mark's going to get himself his, like get himself a nice uh, Airstream and he's going to go visit all his fans across uh, the country when he retires. <laughs> RV style. Yeah. <laughs> just rolling around. Go visit Tammy and, you know, shoot some pop cans and mm-hmm. for sure. All right, kids, I got to go. So I will close the meeting and uh, talk to you guys later. Talk to you later. Okay, yeah, have a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> happy Thanksgiving to you guys too. Mm-hmm.